This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. Will Watts from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome in to Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. I'm your host. Coming at you solo today. Steve Geller's got some, some business to attend to. He's now hosting Sports Talk. Monday through Friday, 5.30 to 8 p.m. So make sure to check that out. Make sure to give him a listen. Give him a call, 504-260-1870, or shoot him a text. Tell him how great he sounds, or tell him he's dumb. I don't know. You do you. But we're going to get into this podcast, and today we are going to, for a majority of the time, be talking to our viewers on YouTube and answer whatever questions might come up. It's a live mailbag edition. We like doing these. It's just a good way to engage people, especially in a week where not a ton really happened, right? The, it's the dead week between rookie minicamp and OTAs. So we're going to get into a lot. We're going to talk a lot about Derek Carr, about what we expected OTAs, some updates on some players and, and, and all that good stuff. But in this first segment, we are going to get into Cam freaking Jordan. One of the, one of the most fun players to watch, to, to root for. And, you know, the news that came out this week that the Saints are kind of working on an extension with Cam, which, as they should, right? That is, the, that is the correct thing that they should be doing. But what we do know about Cam Jordan, and what we're going to get into in this first segment here, is he's ready to keep playing. He's going into year 13, but he is nowhere near retirement. And he talked this week at the Saints Hall of Fame Golf Classic this week, always talkative, and he talked about, you know, his next potential contract extension. This is his final year of the deal he signed back in 2019. And, you know, the first question, how long do you expect to play? Here's what he had to say. Forever. Now, realistically, I don't know if forever works, but, like, we all have to get old sometime. And I'm sure one day I'll, I'll, I'll check the tank and be like, hmm, it's about that time. No, I've gone through scenarios in my head, what happens, what doesn't happen. I said I check in with my body at year 10. Year 10 felt great. Uh, now at year 13, the next check-in is year 15. So, 
you know, uh, going ahead into my last year of the contract, which I just probably discussed earlier. Whatever happens, happens. I love that I'm a part of Huda Nation. I've been here for 13, going on 13 years, and I don't see myself ever leaving. Um, how long do we play? We'll see. As long as the love, love still burns strong. So you want an extension? Doesn't everybody? My wife wants a bigger ring. You know, like we, we all have things that we want. We'll see if, if we can get them. And so, yeah, it has been reported by Brett Martell of the AP that the Saints are engaged in contract negotiations with Cam Jordan and his agent, Doug Washerman. And you're looking at probably a two-year extension. As he said in that clip, he's looking at year 15 as kind of the check-in year. And fortunately for the Saints, he has not really slowed down to this point in his career. He didn't have a great season last year, but he still led the team in sacks. He is still out there for 90, 95% of the snaps. Even if that number gets reduced, he is still a hugely important part of that rotation. And so you are going to keep him around. It makes sense to keep him around because he's been so good. Now, all that said, one thing that's worth keeping in mind is that while the Saints want to keep Cam Jordan and Cam Jordan wants to stay in New Orleans, that's a fortunate thing because they don't really have much of a choice. And we've talked a lot about the salary cap and how the Saints manage it and how they put void years at the end of deals. And so... What's important to remember is that the Saints restructure deals every year and they add void years at the end of them to spread out the cap hit, right? It's just how they operate. It is how they've operated the past several years. It's why people complain every year when they're able to sign players that they shouldn't be able to sign, whatever. Now that works against you when players leave, when players are no longer on your roster. Because what you're able to do when they are under contract with you is extend that deal out. I think you can go as many as three void years and spread out that cap hit. Once that player is no longer on your roster, that entire dead cap charge gets advanced, boom, right up on the next year. And so that's what we saw this past season with David Onyemata and Marcus Davenport, right? We've heard Mickey Loomis say that the Saints wanted to re-sign David Onyemata and Marcus Davenport. He did not say that about Shai Tuttle. Whether they wanted to or not, who knows? But they, he said that specifically about Mark, Marcus Davenport and David Onyemata. And the reason is, other than the fact that they were productive players, Marcus' 2022 season notwithstanding, David is costing the Saints $10 million this season to play for the Falcons. Right? After this season, that dead cap charge will be gone. So that'll help you in terms of how you're navigating 2024 and beyond. But this year, it made things a little more complicated. Marcus Davenport, $7.6 million to play for the Vikings, right? So when you're on the hook for some dead money to a player, it makes signing them to extension or re-signing them a lot more attractive, especially if they are productive, if you're still satisfied with, the, with what they're putting out on the field. And the Saints are with Cam Jordan, so it's a moot point whether he's worth signing to bring back or not. But when you look at the deal that Cam is ending this season— if they were to allow him to go sign elsewhere, if they just did not extend him a deal, if he retired even, the dead cap charge for 2024 would be $23 million for a player not on the roster, right? Even with those dead cap charges that we talked about with Marcus Davenport and David Onyemata, the Saints dead cap hit this season was about $24 million. So 
you can do the math there pretty easily. If the Saints decided not to bring Cam back, he would cost them about as much as every dead cap hit that they accepted this season. And keep in mind, this is not the only dead cap charge that the Saints might be accepting, right? If you have to move on from Michael Thomas, which is a very realistic possibility considering he is on a one-year $10 million deal, he's played 10 games the last three seasons. Boom, $18 million dead cap charge for Michael Thomas or something in that range, depending on how you navigate it against a trade, a sign-and-trade, a post-June 1 release, whatever. It's a significant cap charge. Andres Pete, you want to move on from Andres Pete? Okay, you're looking at about a $13 million dead cap charge. James Hurst, who knows? $2 million. Jameis Winston, it's going to be, you know, in the range of $10 million. So <laughs> you can't add $23 million to that if you move on from all those guys and suddenly be like, how do we pay all of our players, right? Like, you're going to have to do something with Derek Carr's deal. You'll probably restructure that and move it forward. And this is where, when the Saints get criticized... It's in moments like this. It's because you are now forced to sign Cam Jordan to an extension, whether you wanted to or not. And, and again, I think the Saints want to extend Cam Jordan. I think the Saints want Cam Jordan to retire here. But this is where when you end up with a player who you don't want to re-sign, right? The Saints were considering bringing Marcus Davenport back. It wasn't because he was an incredible player last year. It's because it saved them money. Right. And in this case, because Cam is so good, you're able to do that. But that's not always the case. So that's part of the conversation here. And you're talking about, well, will they extend Cam? Does Cam think he'll get that extension? One thousand percent. He's going to get that extension because the Saints don't have a choice. And his agent knows that. So I think Cam's going to get a pretty lucrative two to three year extension here. Some void years on the end. Uh, I'm sure he'll make it team friendly in whatever way he can. But Cam's not going anywhere. Cam is, you know, assuming he finishes at year 15, uh, he's finishing his career with the Saints, in my opinion. And so that point, to me, brings up the question, is Cam Jordan a Hall of Famer? Right? Is he a Hall of Famer right now? And, or will he be a Hall of Famer when his career ends? And so to answer that question, I just went and I looked at, you know, kind of the relative numbers between Cam in the last five comparable defensive ends to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, right? And if you do look at those numbers, he's close. I don't think he's there yet because I think what gets Cam Jordan to the Hall of Fame is playing 15, 16 seasons and doing so consistently all of the way through the line, right? It's what a lot of players were not able to do but it's what Cam, I think, has to do because he never had the Michael Strahan 26 and a half sack season, whatever you want to call it. Like, he never had that massive year. I mean, the most sacks Cam ever had in a season was 15 and a half, and that happened in 2019, right? He said double digit sacks one, two, three, four, five, six times in his career, and he's always on the field. You know, that's part of the reason he was able to break Ricky Jackson's franchise record, and he has 115 and a half sacks right now because of his longevity and the fact that he is always available. And you can say that cheapens it a little bit. I say that's what you play for. That's what you need, right? It's great when a guy shows up in one game and gets six sacks, but what happens when he only plays 12 games that season and you lose in the games he's not there, right? The consistency that Cam Jordan has brought to the table over 13 years in the NFL, 
to me, is what gets him to the Hall of Fame. But he has to do it over, I think, at least one more, maybe two more seasons. Because you look at DeMarcus Ware, right? So DeMarcus Ware, 178 games played. He has 20 more tackles than Cam, 23 more sacks, 21 more tackles for loss, 20 more forced fumbles, two fewer fumble recoveries, 10 more passes defense, and, and then one more interception. That's not helpful for Cam, right? He's already played more games than DeMarcus Ware. So how do you match that up? Well, you know, the numbers are aggregate. And being effective for longer is still impressive in, the, in an NFL landscape. The player I would look at if I am trying to make the argument for Cam Jordan being a Hall of Famer is Richard Simo, longtime Patriots defensive end, finished his career with the Raiders, 164 games played, 498 tackles, right? So that's not that crazy. You know, Cam is already above that. He has more games played, but he has already passed that number. So wh- wh- what's getting Richard Seymour to the Hall of Fame? 57 and a half sacks, nothing incredible. 91 tackles for loss, four forced fumbles, eight fumble recoveries, 39 passes defense, two interceptions. Now the difference between Cam Jordan and Richard Seymour is this. Postseason, Richard Seymour played 15 games in the playoffs. His team won 12 of them. Four and a half sacks, 51 tackles, five tackles for loss, two fumble recoveries, and his team's won Super Bowls, right? Cam Jordan, I think, to make the Hall of Fame, needs one more extended playoff run to his credit. I don't think you necessarily have to make the Super Bowl, but I think you probably have to make an NFC championship because right now his, his playoff record is not bad, right? Five and six, five and a half sacks, 38 tackles, eight tackles for loss. Typically speaking, you're not going to hold a defensive end accountable for the team record, right? That's more or less a quarterback issue where if you have a losing record in the postseason, it's going to get held against the quarterback. I don't think that hurts Cam in this sense. But I do think that standing out in the postseason is going to be what gets him over the top when you are looking at the deficit before him and a guy like Jason Taylor, right? 233 games played, 788 tackles, 139.5 sacks, 151 tackles for loss, 46 forced fumbles, 29 fumble recoveries, an insane 87 passes defensed, eight interceptions. Again, this is Jason Taylor, the father of LSU tight end Mason Taylor. But his postseason record, four and five, 34 tackles, zero sacks, seven tackles for loss, right? So Cam is not touching these numbers. These numbers are insane. But if you make the argument that, okay, he's effective in the playoffs, right? Jason Taylor, zero sacks in the postseason. He's a Hall of Famer. Cam, if he gets the double-digit postseason sacks, first ballot, I think. Right now, eh, he's right on the fringe. And again, and so there were a few in here. You know, I didn't include Charles Haley. I didn't include Joe Klecko because both of those guys, there's in, inconsistent stat keeping, right? The tackles aren't always there. The passes defense didn't get recorded until later in their career it's kind of tough the tackles for loss aren't necessarily right so I went back to Michael Strahan 2014 another guy who was a no-brainer hall of famer 216 games played 854 tackles that's 141.5 sacks and he's also the NFL record holder with 22 and a half sacks in the season I might have said 26 earlier I don't know TJ Watt came pretty close a couple seasons ago so you have to have something that stands out, right? And even Michael Strahan's postseason 
career. Six, six and four, nine and a half sacks, 48 tackles, nine tackles for loss. He did win a Super Bowl. He was a key part of the Giants team that upset the Patriots in 2009 because the pass rush was able to harass Tom Brady in ways that most teams have not been able to do. The Saints have, right? The Saints did the same thing. The Saints were able to do the same things to Tom Brady that the Giants did. So in that sense, I think Cam Jordan does have a route to the Hall of Fame. And I think these last two seasons with the Saints are going to either put a bow on it or maybe drag it down a little bit. So that's going to be very interesting to see. I'm looking forward to watching it. Again, this is Inside Black and Gold. We're going to come back and we're going to dive deep into the viewer mailbag, answer as many questions as we can get to in the final two segments of this here program. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Make sure to hit the subscribe button. Follow us on YouTube. Ring the bell. Give us a rating. Give us a review. I love hearing feedback from everybody. It helps me get better. So hit me up on Twitter, whatever. You know where to find me. Love hearing from y'all. And stick around. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is up and welcome back. This is Inside Black and Gold. We spent the first segment talking about Cam Jordan and a potential Cam Jordan extension and why it basically has to happen. You know, it's not whether it should or could. It has to happen because the Saints cannot afford for it not to happen based on every salary cap number that that you can imagine. But we're going to get into a live mailbag in the final two segments. This is going to be a bit extended from what we might normally do on on these Wednesday, Thursday episodes. And before we came on, I asked folks to give me their record predictions because I am curious what the general kind of idea is around this team. You know, we talked to Bobby Hebert and he's one of the most optimistic people out there. He's talking 12, 13, 14 wins. And it's crazy to me because if you had asked people at the end of the 2022 season what this year might look like, what the win totals might be if the Saints didn't fire Dennis Allen, didn't get a new offensive coordinator, didn't do this, didn't do that. Man, I don't think you would have projected a winning record. But now we're in that season where, okay, Everyone's saying 12 wins, 13 wins, 14 wins. We've moved past fire o'clock to 12 wins o'clock. 
And I do think it's interesting. And we've talked a lot about win totals on this podcast. We don't need to go into a ton of it. I did a whole breakdown of how I think the Saints get to 10 wins after the schedule came out. Um, but I, I expected to be among the optimists. I expected to be among the, the higher numbers. But, I mean, it sounds like a lot of people think they're going to win 14 games for the first time in franchise history, which, think about that. Think about that. Um, and, and we'll get into it. But we got a few people in here, so let's go through some of these. Austin Kloska says 10-7 and 7 is probably the most realistic. I agree. I think 10-7 and 7 is where you start. Because it's where you have to be to, I would say, guarantee yourself a spot in the playoffs. Obviously, you could potentially go 10-7 and 7 and miss the playoffs. It's, it's not unheard of, but it is rare. When you get to double-digit wins, you are pretty much safe in, in the playoffs, especially in a year where your division is probably not going to put out multiple 10-win teams, right? Like, that's the scenario where you win 10 games and you miss the playoffs is you're in the NFC East from last season, right? Where the Eagles go 14-3, and three, the Cowboys go 13-4, and four, the Giants go 12-5, and three, 12 and, five, and then maybe Washington goes 10-7 and seven and they just they, they catch the short straw because there's a lot of strong wildcard teams. It's not the case very often. Even last year, the Giants made the playoffs with nine wins. So it, it's not necessary to get to 10 wins, but I think it does secure your spot more often than not. Ironically, I think it was the year that Brett Favre went to the Jets that I think the Patriots missed the playoffs at 10 and six. I could be wrong, but I believe that's correct. And it's really kind of fascinating. That was the Matt Castle year where Tom Brady got hurt, at, I think, week one, you know, first quarter, went down with a knee injury, never came back, and and Brett Favre ended up leading the Jets. But that's few and far between, and I don't think you're going to get that this year, especially not in NFC South, where you'd be lucky. You might win it at 8-9, and nine, let alone 9-8. and eight. And here's one, Kivo, 14-3. and three. I just, It's fascinating to me. It's fascinating that we have gone from where we were at to 14-3, and three, 10 wins, Rachel Cusimano, I'm going to be optimistic and say 10 wins, but I thought they could win 10 games last year, and we know how that ended. Yeah, and, and I think when you when you look at this season and you look at how it starts, they have four of six games on the road to begin the season. I, I want for this team, <laughs> I want for this team to start hot, right? When is the last time you you got into week four, week five, and there wasn't this massive negative storm forming around why hasn't this team coalesced and why isn't this team succeeding in the way that everyone expected it to? Why is the offense bogged down? Why is the defense getting off to a slow start? Why are there injuries up and down the roster? Why hasn't Michael Thomas been able to get on the field for three consecutive years? You know, for once, wouldn't it be nice to just get like a three-game winning streak to start the season? 4-0, and 5-0, and 6-0? and Because I would really appreciate that. It would be fun for once to not have to explain why two and two is not a death sentence, but that's where we have been at since 2013. The saints have not begun a season three and oh, it has been a decade, a decade since the saints started three and oh, and that's crazy. That makes no sense. This is a team that had drew Brees for all but two of those years. <laughs> oh gosh. Anyway, we are going forward. One of the other questions I asked was, who are some of the players that you were looking forward to seeing most at OTAs, at training camp? OTAs are obviously not open to the public. 
so you won't be there seeing them but we will have three sets of OTAs they're gonna let us out at the first practice of the week this time so it's a little different I believe it was the third practice that we got to see last year so that's gonna be the Tuesday practice so a week from Tuesday will be out there then they will have practices Wednesday Thursday they will break for a week and then you'll be back the following Tuesday and the Tuesday after that from there you're gonna have mandatory mini camp which will be mid-June and then training camp will be late July we don't have the dates for that yet but Jerry G Pore Jr always in here always having a good time says looking forward to seeing Carr and Williams and a few others at mini camp and training camp yeah I, you know I think Derek Carr is gonna he's gonna be boring at training camp and I say that in the most complimentary way possible is he's just gonna do everything you expect him to do and nothing crazy you know because he doesn't have to like training camp is about consistency not making all these wow throws and I think what's going to happen is is fans are going to show up and be like super hyped to watch Derek Carr and he's just going to complete a bunch of ho-hum passes over the middle of the field and fans are going to be like, well, what the heck? Why isn't he throwing these bombs to uh, Chris Olave and to Rashid Shahid? And it's because you're learning the offense. The basics of an offense are a lot more complicated than, you know, trying to hit Rashid Shahid over the top. That's the simple part. We know he can do that. <laughs> it's can you develop the timing over the middle of the field with a guy like Michael Thomas, with a guy like Chris Olave, guys that you can throw open. That's what I want to see from Derek Carr. It's not going to be the sexiest training camp reg regiment you've ever seen, but it's going to be consistent, and that's what I want to see. One of my criticisms of Jameis Winston the last few years is the consistency wasn't always there, right? Like, you would see him make these majestic, incredible throws, but then you would see just a simple, you know, in route sailed over the middle of the field for no reason. You know, it was just there was inconsistency and, and that's what this offense can't afford a lot of the time, right? Like, it's a ball control offense. It's a possession-first offense. It's similar to what the Raiders ran under John Gruden, right? So I think that's what you're going to try to figure out, is can Derek Carr be consistent in this offense before you really, before you really take the training wheels off and, and, and let the engine, the engine go? Anyway, I agree with the other one here. Jamal Williams, I'm fascinated to watch. I am fascinated to hear from... I'm fascinated to listen to on the sidelines because he's a character. If you don't know anything about Jamal Williams, you'll learn about Jamal Williams because he's going to be talking about Pokemon. He's going to be talking about Naruto. He's going to be wearing the anime headbands, you know, swag daddy, whatever he calls himself. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> he's going to be fun. And he's also going to be important because the reason you bring in Jamal Williams this offseason is – He's the guy you're going to depend on if and when Alvin Kamara gets suspended, right? Like you brought in Kendry Miller, and I've said this before, Kendry Miller is the long-term plan, right? Kendry Miller is the guy that you'd like to hand the keys over to two, three years down the road, right? He's obviously going to have a role in this offense this year and next year and however long Alvin's still on the roster, but he is not the guy you brought in to replace Alvin this year. The short-term plan is Jamal Williams. And so I want to see him really kind of take the reins, especially I assume he's going to be there at OTAs. I hope he's there. I think when you're a new player, even the voluntary OTAs, you should be there. Um, and I'd like to see him really kind of pick up steam. It was just like Tyron Matthew last year. Like Tyron is a guy who I don't know if he's going to be there this year, 
but he was there last year. He missed the start of camp, training camp, because he was dealing with some personal stuff, but he was there at OTAs, right? And I think that's important to pick up the offense. We don't know exactly who's going to be there on Tuesday. Dennis Allen would not say. <laughs> I think he is very cognizant of the fact that the only thing he can do wrong in the answer to that question is say someone's going to be there and have them not show up because it just, just makes him look dumb. Uh, and I think we have seen Dennis Allen kind of evolve a little bit this year as he relates to the media. And I think that's important. I think you need to see some more personality there. I don't think you necessarily need to threaten your backup quarterback with a Walmart greeter job like Sean Payton did. But I do think you need to be a little bit more forthcoming, a little bit more engaging with how you deal with things, with how you deal with the media, especially in-game. Those in-game interviews <laughs> got to be better. Got to be better than keep doing what you're doing. One note. Apparently, it's Jerry Poor. Sorry, I've been mispronouncing your name. I was trying to put a little too much French in there, I guess. Rachel Cusimano, the Panthers are supposedly starting Andy Dalton, and we saw him last year, so expect them to win enough games to win the division. I'm not sure what you mean, but yeah, that is something that is fascinating to me, is who starts for the Panthers and for how long, right? Because when you pick a quarterback number one overall, when you trade up to get him and you ship out a guy like DJ Moore, a high-quality player, man, there's going to be pressure to put Andy, I'm sorry, to put Bryce Young in right away. You are not going to get the luxury of like what the Bears did with Justin Fields and Andy Dalton, right? Like you were able to kind of slow play that scenario. I think it was the 10th overall pick, right? Pat Mahomes, I want to say he was the 10th overall pick as well. In that range, the fans aren't going to be clamoring for you to put the quarterback in right away. When you pick somebody number one overall, the fans are expecting a star from day one. And so can you afford boring Andy Dolan? I, like, I feel bad saying it, but he's one of the most boring people I've encountered in terms of, you know, he's, he's very straightforward. He's, you know, I, I, don't, I actually liken him similarly to Derek Carr, but I think Derek Carr as a player is a little more dynamic. So, you know, the, the kind of formulaic answers you, you, you can look past. But then, then again, Derek Carr, if you go back and you watch some of his interviews, you know, he's very animated. He is very outspoken in his interviews. So there's character there. It's not there with Andy Dalton. And I have a feeling if the Panthers go out and lose week one, the noise is going to be very loud. <laughs> to get him out of there. <laughs> so I think it's possible the Saints end up facing Bryce Young week two with Andy Dalton starting week one and struggling. Who knows? I think the Saints are fine either way. I do not think that Andy Dalton is going to show up there and be the answer and win a bunch of games. I really don't. And whether it's Andy Dalton, whether it's Bryce Young, I think you are in a very advantageous position there if you're the Saints. Now, when they meet for the second time, who knows? All bets are off, in my opinion. And that would be week 14 at home. It's another noon start. The Saints have 14 noon starts this season. And, you know, I think that game, <laughs> you're, you're going to see Bryce Young one way or the other. If I had to bet the over-under on how many games Andy would start this season, I'd set it at four. Four and a half. I think there's a chance he gets through the first quarter of the season. Um, if he's 4-0, maybe he wins himself some more games. If he's 1-3, 2-2, Absolutely no way you're cutting bait and you're putting Bryce Young in there. Rachel Cusimano again, do you think we will get picked to do hard knocks this year? 
I, I'd be lying if I said I understood the method for how they pick teams. I can assure you the Saints are not hopeful that they get picked from an organizational perspective. I do not think that they want that. I don't know if they have much say in it. Again, I've never had to really dive into it because the Saints have never had it here. But I, I assure you that this regime, this coaching staff, has no interest in cameras following them around, in having to watch everything they say, and knowing that, you know, any week there could be something blow up that they're not expecting. Like like NFL teams, as much as possible, want to keep everything in a box. They want to keep the storylines around the team, all the complications, as minimal as possible. Because they want to keep the focus on the field. They want to keep everything in front of them. And when you have hard knocks, uh, it's it's just, it's a tinderbox. And I don't think the Saints want to deal with that. Could they? I, I suppose. I'd, I'd be very surprised if the NFL thought that was their best ratings option for a few reasons. One, if the networks thought that this was a good ratings team, they would they would get primetime games and they just did not right? Two of their quote-unquote primetime games are Thursday Night Football, the games that nobody wants to play in. The games that for a national game isn't really a national game. The ratings are terrible. So like realistically speaking, the Saints have one primetime game and it's Monday Night Football in week two. And the only reason that's on Monday Night Football is because it's potentially the Bryce Young game, right? It's, a pan- it's the Panthers that are drawing that interest for Monday Night Football. It's not the Saints. So if you're HBO and you're looking and saying, okay, who's going to draw eyeballs, right? Who's going to get like create interest? It's not the Saints. It's not. Unless you are looking at it and saying, okay, Derek Carr, Jamal Williams, they had the Lions on Hard Knocks and Jamal Williams was a show, right? So maybe in that sense, you could see it. Cam Jordan's obviously engaging. There are characters in the Saints locker room. But I just don't I don't see them being a big enough draw for, for HBO to be like, oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Let's let's bring in the Saints. But but we'll see. Austin Klaska, he wants to see Lucas Krull versus Joel Wilson. So we've we've talked about this. Joel Wilson is actually not on the roster. He failed his physical, so he is not there. Foster Morrow, on the other hand, has signed. And he is in there. He talked to Adam Schefter earlier this week. A pretty fascinating interview. He said that his treatments were not radiation-related, not chemotherapy-related because the rare form of Hodgkin's lymphoma that he was diagnosed with by the Saints medical staff did not require that. I don't know, remember the name of the uh, treatment offhand, but the first one was like an eight-hour IV session. The next three were shots in the stomach, and then he was done, and he is ready to go. So Foster Morrow, theoretically could be out there on Tuesday. Will he be? I don't know. But when Dennis Allen was asked whether he could be, his answer was absolutely. So from my understanding of everything that I've heard and everything Foster said, he's going to be there. Or he's at least going to be involved in the offseason programs. Like he said that on Tuesday of last week, he finished his final treatment for his cancer. On Wednesday, he had signed his contract with the Saints. And on Thursday morning, he was out catching passes with Derek Carr and various other members of the Saints. So that is very cool. But Joel Wilson, <laughs> the UDFA out of Central Michigan, 
did not pass his physical, so he will not be out there. So I think you probably will see the Saints bring in another name at tight end at some point. You know, they did try out two players. They tried out Jamal Turner from Toledo, Seathan Carter out of Nebraska. So who knows? But I do think the tight end position is going to be interesting because is Foster Morrow that guy? You sign him to a three-year, $12 million deal. I think he is. I think he'll be a very quality combo tight end, a guy you trust to block, a guy you trust on intermediate routes in the red zone. And then you have Juwan Johnson as that kind of move tight end. And then Taysom Hill doing whatever you want Taysom Hill to do. I don't know if you want to call him a tight end, but either way, he's part of that room. He's working in that room with those guys. So I think that is going to be an interesting group to watch. Adam Troutman, obviously, is out in Denver now. He got traded during the draft. All right, one more thing we'll get to before we move on. Kevin Thomas Leahy Jr. says, preseason game one, for real, he is talking about the Kansas City Chiefs visiting the Saints going to be boring. Very few <laughs> starters are going to play. You might see the starters play one series. You might see them not play at all. It's tough to say at this point, but we do know the time. It is going to be August 13th. That's a Sunday at noon. It's going to be on Fox. So we, we know when the Saints are going to kick off for the first time this season. Week two of the preseason, they will be holding joint practices with the Chargers and then obviously playing the Chargers in San Diego. That is going to be a week later on Sunday, starting at 6.05 p.m., kind of a weird start time. Then the final game of the preseason, you're coming back home. You're hosting the Houston Texans again. Another Sunday start, that's 7 p.m. That's kind of in, in the last few years, you've seen the Saints play Thursday, Saturday, Friday even. This year, you're all on Sundays. Bang, 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 bang. And so of the, what, 20 games, including preseason, 16 of them are on Sundays. <laughs> which, you know, I, I guess if you're, if you're a fan of consistency, then that's, then that's a good thing. But all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. It's going to be the first half of our live mailbag. I'm going to come back and answer some more of your questions. I've seen a few of them in there. Stick around through the break. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure to do that. Leave a rating, leave a review. Tell me what you think. Tell us what you want to see more of. I say this all the time. I really do appreciate feedback. It's very helpful in terms of just figuring out how we're going to do this podcast going forward because we are going to have some changes going into year two. We have survived year one, which, you know, I think is far from a guarantee when you start doing a podcast that you'll still be around that time next year. We are still here. We're still doing it. Steve is busy today. He's hosting Sports Talk. He had, we had Drew Brees drop out the last second. He was supposed to be on. I think he had a flight delay. So they're scrambling a little bit. So I'm on here solo. But make sure to leave a, or drop your questions, comments in the chat, and we'll come back and answer those. Thanks, y'all. Stick around. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold, another mailbag segment 
to throw at you. We have some questions in there already, but the first thing I want to get to is a question from Jerry G. Poor, as I've been corrected. He says, thoughts on the recent signing of wide receiver James Washington, and will Cam Jordan stay for two or three years as a Saint? I'll go with the first question, James Washington. I think, and I said this, I think, on the last episode, when you're talking about a veteran that you're bringing in at this point, your goal is to identify those four veteran players that you can stash on the practice squad and potentially elevate throughout the season. Now, he might come in and and show out and earn himself one of those roster spots. It's hard for me to believe he wins that spot out of camp, but there is value in identifying veterans and getting them to learn your system and getting them involved and understanding how they operate so that if you do end up having to call up a player, he, you, you are familiar with what you're expecting out of that player, right? We see it with Kevin White. We saw it with Chris Harris. It's important. It's something the NFL allows you to do. You have to take advantage of it. And so I think that's what it's about. But he's a big play threat, right? He was injured last year. He was on the Cowboys. He spent his first four seasons on the Steelers. I think... What you're trying to figure out if you're the Saints, at least this is what I want to figure out, is was his drop in production over his final two years with the Steelers a product of him not being as efficient and him not creating separation and route running and all this? Or was it a product of Ben Roethlisberger's arm melting off of his body? And I think... You can make the argument for Juju Smith-Schuster. You can make the argument for James Washington. You can make the argument for basically anyone who was in that Steelers offense those last final years or those last few years is Big Ben had nothing left. So what was he going to do with the receivers, right? Like there was only so much he could have, you could have expected out of him and there's only so much you could have expected out of the receivers. So hopefully he's healthy. He's a young guy still. I think he's only 27 and we'll see what he has. But again, I think he's a guy you're trying to stash in the practice squad. Second side of that question, in the first segment of this show, we, we talked about the reports of Cam Jordan being in talks for a two-year extension. And one of the reasons that I don't think it's a question whether he gets extended or not, it's just a, it's a, it's a matter of time, is how the Saints operate relative to the cap. And if the Saints decided not to extend Cam Jordan and said, good luck, find a new team next season – He would cost them $24 million in dead cap next season. If you extend him, you can push that out. You can start paying it down, right? And I think by the time he does retire, you'll be in a much better situation. But that's what happens when you you sign guys to big deals and then you renegotiate them every year. So in the sense that will he be around? Yes, 100%. Because you don't have a choice. You have to keep him around. The real question is, should you extend him for two or three more years. Is he playing at a high enough level that it makes sense to do that? And I think he is. I think he has been for a long time. I have not seen any major drop off. He's obviously going into year 13. He talked about how year 10, he was going to check in and see how he was feeling. He felt good. Keep going, right? Year 15 is the next benchmark for him. So I think he's planning to play until year 15 at minimum. And you're going to go from there. I think that he is on the fringe of being a Hall of Fame candidate, personally. And I think these last few years are going to be very important. And I think one of the re- one of the ways he can make sure that he has a really good case to get into the Hall of Fame is one more deep postseason run. I don't know if you necessarily have to get to the Super Bowl, 
But I think you need at least one more trip to an NFC championship where you're productive, where you're a key piece of that defense, not just riding the bus, right? And and if you can do that, I think you are, he is a concrete Hall of Famer just in terms of longevity alone. Like his numbers are very good, not crazy good, right? Like you go and you look at a DeMarcus Ware, look at a Jason Taylor, look at a Michael Strahan, and their numbers are are significantly higher in on a per season basis. But none of them had the longevity of a Cam Jordan. None of them, except for maybe a Jason Taylor who played an insane number of games, but none of them had the health, had the consistency of a Cam Jordan. So anyway, I think he comes back. I think he plays two or three more years. And you're gonna see you're gonna see it go from there. The question is, does he retire a saint? Is he gonna be that guy who plays beyond when they are willing to keep him? Right? And and I don't know. I don't know. I think he's honest with himself. And if and if he does start to see his own play drop off, I think he's gonna be the first one to be like, Yeah, I don't have it anymore. But right now there's no indication of that. So I think for sure he's coming back. Austin Klaska question. If you had to pick the six or so receivers to make the roster, who would you pick? And I've already done that. So this will be an easy question to answer. Let me pull up my way too early roster projection, which actually does need to change to some extent because when I did this, Foster Morrow was not on the roster. Now he is. The first tight end I had on there was Miller Forrestall. And I think I said at the time, he's basically a placeholder for whatever blocking tight end you brought in to fill that role. Foster Morrow was that guy. So I replaced him. So the numbers don't change. But at wide receiver, I'm kind of going status quo at this point. I'm leaning veteran and I'm keeping Ryan Edwards, Chris Olave, Traquan Smith, Michael Thomas, Rashid Shaheed, and then A.T. Perry. Because I think you were aggressive to go get him. It's because you wanted him. And I don't know if you'll be able to stash him on the practice squad. I think he serves a role that you need in that 6-3 wide receiver that you have not had in the last two seasons. And he's my keep. The cuts at this point, Kawan Baker, Shaquan Davis, Keith Kirkwood, Malik Flowers, Kirk Merritt. The other one that was on here was Cy Barnett. He has actually already been cut. And James Washington is filling that uh, that roster spot. So I would also have James Washington on this list of cuts. But th- those are my guys. And I know that there's going to be a lot of criticism of, oh, why do they keep bringing Traquan back? And I do think this is the year where he is at risk of getting beat out in camp. I don't think that was the issue last year because he was on the first year of a two-year deal it wasn't really going to help you from a cap perspective to not bring him back. And he does do things. He does the dirty work. And it just made sense to keep him around. This year, You could, I think you could make a valid argument that going younger and sticking with a guy like Kirk, Kirk Merritt, right? Keeping a Kawan Baker. If you, you know, they've kept him around this long. Maybe, maybe this is the year he finally breaks through and he's not suspended for six games for PEDs, right? Maybe that's the route you go. But until I see it, until I see the work of these guys in camp and I see them contribute on special teams, I see them contribute in all facets, especially the run game, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the status quo and keep Traquan in there for now. But those, those two guys, I think, are probably the next ones up if you end up dropping Traquan out of there. Now, the other question would be Brian Edwards. I haven't seen him play yet, 
But I think his familiarity with Derek Carr and his ability to kind of replicate, not replace, but to some extent replicate what Michael Thomas does from a physicality perspective is going to make it pretty easy for him to end up on this final roster. Now, he could come in and just just play like garbage and, and miss this roster. No question about it. Just because you sign him as a free agent doesn't mean you are married to the idea of having him on the roster. But for now, I'm keeping him there because you went out and got him. It's because you like him. Here's Austin again. He says, I think the secondary roster battle is interesting. Howden, Lonnie Johnson, Jonathan Abram, Smoke Monday. Lots of depth, but I doubt if more than two make the roster. Again, well, you know, I've already gone through all of these positions, and I, I, I agree with you. I actually had Jordan Howden cut, and that could change, right? But I think of all the draft picks you're talking about, and they made seven draft picks, I think he is probably the closest one to the chopping block. I think you don't want to cut your draft picks if you don't have to. But as we saw last year, they were willing to do it. They cut Jordan Jackson. He ended up on the Broncos. He's not even on the roster anymore. They drafted him in the sixth round, and he's not he's not with the team anymore because he got plucked off the practice squad. So, you know, you kind of got to look at it that way. But I think Lonnie Johnson Jr. is going to be the P.J. Williams replacement. You know, because I think this team does look at archetypes. They look at people who can play multiple positions, and that's exactly what you have in Lonnie Johnson Jr. So I think that's what you're going to do is you're going to kind of plug him into that role. Jonathan Abram, I think, is going to fill the nickel, big body kind of safety who can come downhill and make a tackle that you lost with Justin Evans going to the Eagles. Do you need that position? Maybe, maybe not. Could Jordan Howden be that guy? Maybe, maybe not. But those are... I think those are who I'm leaning toward right now. And then the rest are pretty simple, right? Paulson Adebo, Marshawn Lattimore, Bradley Roby, Alante Taylor, obvious choices at cornerback that there's no question whether any of those four make the roster. So you move on. Isaac Yadam, to me, right now, has the inside track at that gunner position across from JT Gray. Then Tyra Matthew, Marcus May, obviously, are on the roster. So I think those those are the three that you're looking at that could change is... Lonnie Johnson, Isaac Yadam, Jonathan Abram. So, yeah, any any of the cuts, which include, obviously, Jordan Howden, Vincent Gray has already been cut, Troy Pride Jr., Anthony Johnson Jr., and Ugo Amati, they could work their way in there. Whoever stands out as a gun is going to have a roster spot. Yes, JT Gray is a lock. <laughs> I mean, it's just, the, there's no question. I mean, they paid him. They signed him. They gave him the money. And I'm glad because... One thing that's frustrated me from the Saints the last several years is you develop these special teams guys, right? Like you have these kind of culture building players and then you just let them go, right? <laughs> like you let Justin Hardy sign with the Jets, right? You let Chris Banjo sign with the Cardinals, maybe? I can't remember. But like you develop these guys, you want to keep them. You don't want to be a feeder team for for other rosters, right? They go develop their own guys. You keep them in-house if you can. And so that's what they were able to do. So I'm happy about that. Jay Black, yeah, this is the question. Is this the year we say goodbye to Traquan? Because I think it's enough and other undrafted guys need a shot. Yeah, Traquan, we, we did talk about this a little bit already. Traquan is frustrating because you've seen flashes, right? Like we can pretend that he's never done anything in his career. You've seen flashes from him. You've seen 10-catch games, right? Or a 10-catch game. You've seen him make big catches in tight games, right? I think week four against the Lions in the 2020 season comes to mind 
where he had a couple major catches in that game and a game that you probably needed to win to, to keep your season afloat. And you went in a 14 point hole on the first two possessions of that game. Drew Brees threw an interception and you went on the road. Everyone was up all night because there was a COVID scare with Michael Burton. And he had a massive game in terms of two touchdowns, I believe. He had a big third down conversion. It might have been a fourth down conversion. I can't remember. Late in the game to help ice it. But then you have these long stretches where he's just absent. You don't have him. He drops a lot of passes. I don't think he uses his body the way he needs to. But then you go into the playoffs against the Bucs in the, in the divisional round and you catch two touchdowns. One from Jameis Winston, the other one from Drew Brees on a play where he used his body perfectly, right? I think the season finale against the Falcons in 2021, he had this crazy one-handed touchdown catch, or I don't know if it was one-handed, but it was a touchdown catch. And then it's like, okay, where is that all the time? Where is that athleticism? Where is that ability to go up and get a ball? And it's frustrating because we can hear all the time, oh, he's a great blocker. He's a great blocker. Well, he's a wide receiver first and foremost. So if he can't do that, I think you can find a blocking wide receiver. And why does he continue to be on the roster? So I agree with you. I think this is probably the year that if there was any where you you were like, okay, he's in the chopping block. I think this is probably it. Get one more good question here. And then we will hit the bricks. Rachel Cusimano. I am excited about Derek this season, hoping he can bring that much needed spark to the offense. I agree. I've said this a few times. I really, really want Derek Carr to be good. You know, like a lot of people look at me and say, oh, you're, you're a downer uh, in terms of like, oh, I'm not predicting 14 and three. I'm not predicting 12 and five even. But like from a storyline perspective, man, I just really want Derek Carr to be that guy. I mean, I'm just so exhausted by by the, the national storylines of like, oh, Drew Brees is gone, Sean Payton is gone, this team has no rudder, he can't get it done. Well, why not? Why can't you get it done with the people in the building? And I think this is going to be the year where you, you either, you know, come to the conclusion that you can or you come to the conclusion that you can't. And Derek, it's a lot of it's going to come back on Derek Carr, and I think he's going to do the work, right? I'd like to think that getting kind of run out of town by the Raiders is the incentive that Derek needed to really drive a team into the postseason and drive a team and just like work like that crazy maniacal worker that I think every quarterback to some extent has in them. But it's just a question of can you can you turn it on when you need it the most? And I think Derek is that guy. And hopefully that we do get into moments where at the end of the game, you're like, okay, Derek Carr went and won that game, right? Like the Saints won games last year they've won seven games, right? Like, but I can't remember any of them where I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Other than week one, week one with Jameis, right? Or he won won that game. Past then, they won games. The quarterback did not go win games, right? Like against the the Eagles on Christmas day, Marshawn Lattimore went and won that game. The defense won that game, right? Like against the Bengals in week six, the quarterback could have gone and won that game. He failed, Against the Vikings, you were hoping the defense could hold you ahead and you were not able to, and the quarterback could not go win a game. The best he could do was get Will Lutz a chance at a 63-yard field goal. Like, we can blame Will Lutz for missing that kick. That is a crazy kick to ask anybody to make. He already made a crazy kick, and you asked him to do it again, and he had a double doink, right? Like, that's on Andy for not putting him in a better position, right? Week five against against Seattle... Andy Dalton didn't go win that game. Taysom Hill won that game. 
as a running quarterback, right? And so there were so many instances where the quarterback was a net negative when you needed it to go win you football games. And that's what I am desperately hoping can change this year. Because I think if you had that winning quarterback last year, the guy who could be the difference maker in the last four minutes of a game, you're in the playoffs, you're winning probably nine games, maybe 10. And you're just not, you, you just were not there. Here's Jay Black, another it's, we got we got to have some negativity in these, right? So here we go. Can we all agree Pete Carmichael is on the hot seat and needs to use all of the playbook with no restrictions because the jury is out on whether or not we should have changed offensive coordinators? <laughs> I I mean I I don't know if the hot seat is the right the right way to look at it because I don't think that if this offense is a complete disaster and you're you're looking to move on from Pete Carmichael that Dennis Allen's just going to, they're just going to say, Hey, go, go hire a new offense coordinator. Right. I think that if you are in a position at the end of this season where you want to go and hire a new offensive coordinator, it's because you are cleaning house and you were, you were starting from scratch anyway. So I don't know if the hot seat is the way to put it, but I think the entire coaching staff is on the hot seat in that, in that regard. I don't, you know, using the entire playbook, I, I don't know how you would kind of, visualize that it, there's a game plan, right? Like it's not like there are pages of the playbook that are just collecting dust. You're attacking the defense in a certain way. I think when you're Pete Carmichael and you're calling the offense, you are trusting the quarterback to be able to go out there and put himself in the right situations. You're giving him the calls and letting him make the checks. I'm just not sure it was happening consistently enough last year. Can Pete Carmichael get it done? I don't know. When you hear the reasoning for why you stuck with him, it's not exactly confidence-inspiring. And it was in large part because <laughs> so many teams had changed offensive coordinators that <laughs> there just weren't that many to choose from. And <laughs> it's not exactly your ringing endorsement as you were the best of the unknowns, but that is it. It is the devil you know is better than the devil you don't, right? And... I don't know. I think there's this idea that last year the quarterback situation was not optimal for what Pete was trying to do. And so you went out and you got the quarterback, right? And so Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, the entire coaching staff has tied their kite to Derek Carr, <laughs> right? If he flies and the kite flies, everyone is good. Everyone benefits. If he falls off a cliff and the kite rockets down to the bottom then i think we all got the answer but that to me is the is is the question one way or the other it's not Pete carmichael it's whether Derek carr is that guy and we're going to keep asking about it we're going to talk about it all training camp we're going to talk about it all preseason and we're going to get to week one and all i can hope is that he doesn't let us down at home against the titans where i'm sure tajay spears will run for three touchdowns just to just to twist the knife a little bit but all right I'm going to wrap it up there. This is Inside Black and Gold. We've been talking about OTAs, about Derek Carr, about all this good stuff. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, please do that. We're going to be coming back with kind of a more in-depth OTA preview for the first episode of next week. We're going to be out there on Tuesday. So the second episode of next week, will have a lot of that sound, a lot of the recap action 
from the first OTA session. We'll have attendance. We'll tell you who was there, who wasn't there, what we saw, what we didn't see, and all that good stuff. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss anything. Make sure you hit us up on YouTube. Hit us up on wherever you get your podcasts, right? Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Follow my co-host, Steve Geller, at Steve Geller, WWL. And thanks, as always, for listening. Thanks, everyone who threw in a comment, threw in a question. Always helpful. I enjoy talking to you guys. I want to do more of these live chats as we go forward. I always say that, and then I run out of time. But it's one of my favorite ways to, to, to do these podcasts. So it's always a lot of fun. But that's it. Thanks, everyone. Peace.